We are Harvard Ventures, and this is The Bottom Line, a podcast about entrepreneurship, innovation, and everything in between. I'm Georgia, and today we have special guest Mercedes Bent in the Zoom studio. As a child, Mercedes grew up around investors and technologists, and to launch her own career, she studied at Harvard and Stanford, and then worked at various startups as a product manager and general manager. Additionally, Mercedes has had finance roles at the Federal Reserve and Goldman Sachs. However, in 2013, she left Wall Street behind to fully immerse herself in startup land. She began her investing career at Owl Ventures and then joined Lightspeed Venture Partners, where she currently works on their consumer team in 2019. She is focused on investing in edtech, the future of work, mobility, car tech, multicultural products, and consumer products in general. We are honored to be interviewing Mercedes as part of Harvard Ventures' Black Lives Matter fundraising efforts. We at Harvard Ventures stand in firm solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, and we recognize as a community of builders with tremendous privilege to be studying at Harvard, we have a responsibility to use all our platforms to demand justice for all victims of racially motivated violence and be active leaders in shaping the changes we want to see in startup land, in America, and in our world. To start, we launched a donation matching initiative. For updates on this initiative, you can visit our Instagram at Harvard underscore ventures. Now we are releasing this podcast episode to share and honor Mercedes story, as well as raise money for Black Lives Matter. All the proceeds from the sponsored segments of this podcast episode will be donated to organizations aiming to create equal opportunities for the advancement of black entrepreneurs and investors in startup land. Next week, we will be launching our Amplify series in collaboration with the Yale Entrepreneurship Society. Together, we have mobilized 10 universities across the country to host weekly virtual speaker events featuring the experiences, creations, triumphs, hardships, and learnings of Black entrepreneurs, executives, and investors. For more information on Amplify events, visit our website, harvardventures.org. This cause is so important to us because in 2018, a mere 1% of venture capital funding went to Black startup founders. This disparity is even more prevalent amongst female Black entrepreneurs, which are allocated only 0.02% of VC funding. Around 63% of Black Americans are interested in starting their own company, but 14% reported having no real role models. Learning from successful members within your own community can be critical to increasing exposure and visibility, maintaining motivation, and boosting confidence for an aspiring founder. This is the first of many ongoing initiatives Harvard Ventures is committed to working towards to uplift underrepresented groups in startup land. We also are making conscious efforts to diversify our guests on the bottom line by reaching out to and highlighting experiences of founders from a diverse set of groups and experiences. So thank you again to Mercedes for joining us and to all of you for listening, donating, and sharing. So let's get to the bottom line. Here's the interview. My name is Delina, and I want to start by asking you about your experience prior to working in VC. So after receiving your BA from Harvard, you worked as an analyst for Goldman Sachs. What sparked that transition from working in finance on Wall Street to discovering a path for yourself in startup land? Yeah, and I actually worked for the Federal Reserve as well um, when I was at Harvard. 
Um, I worked for the Boston Fed and the DC Fed for over a year. And those were really great experiences that led me to want to work at Goldman. Um, I think the what I kind of discovered from my time at the Fed and at Goldman is that you know those are very economics and corporate finance heavy places. They did a wonderful job of teaching me all about what really hard work ethic looks like. I think that um, as Harvard students, we think we all know what really hard work ethic looks like. We've all worked really hard in high school. We probably stayed up a lot over you know late at night doing homework and whatnot. And uh, you know maybe in college we also worked hard. I think at Goldman, it was a, a different level of understanding what is it really like to be on and being fully present and paying a ton of attention and making zero mistakes for 12 to 14 to 16 hours a day um, or even longer sometimes. So that was a really great training environment for, for being a new fresh grad. But I felt like what I missed was some of the agency of being able to say, um, you know, there was a time at Goldman where I wanted to make a change in the marketing deck at uh, one of the pitch decks we used. And it was like, oh, it's going to have to go through compliance. It's going to have to go here and there and there and do all this stuff. And it's like, you know, the process will end up being like six to nine months. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> How am I supposed to, and you know, make change if that's the process? And there's a good reason they have those processes. It's a regulated bank. Um, but so I realized at, you know, that I wanted to do more, I wanted to have more impact. And so that's what led me to start looking for, um, in other roles. And my parents had been in the tech industry and my parents had been entrepreneurs. So I didn't have to look very far as to like what I would do. Um, I kind of immediately started hitting up all of the list, all of the startup job fairs, the VC job boards to look for roles and was really glad to find one at General Assembly. Amazing. So continuing to talk about your experience and your journey in the startup scene, the startup scene in particular isn't known for its diversity in founders. In fact, only 1% of all venture-backed startups have Black founders. The Wall Street Journal reported that you are Lightspeed's first Black female investor. So how do you navigate holding this title and the startup scene in general as a woman of color? Yeah, um, it might be their first black partner ever, but uh, you know the firm's old, so maybe there has been someone in the past. I think the um, investment partner. I think the it's one of those things where I think you realize that we all know that opportunity is not evenly distributed, even if talent is. And I think you know the historical kind of um, you know experience your family has had and the knowledge they have about different opportunities and areas really leads to what you look to as a, as a young person. I didn't know venture capital existed when I was in college. Um, and so kudos to you guys for <laughs> being aware of that now. Um, despite having parents who worked in tech and were, an entrepreneur, and were entrepreneurs, they didn't really know about venture capital and didn't even consider it really as a career until maybe a few years ago. Um, and even when I worked at startups for six years, I didn't really think about becoming a venture capitalist. So now that I'm here, I definitely feel that there's a lot I have to learn, but I feel an immense pressure and I don't mean pressure in a negative way, more like a responsibility to give back to others. One of the things I'm really excited to be working on now is um, I recently took over Lightspeed Scout program, which is a program where we give money to operators, to you know, 
uh, founders to help invest on our behalf. And they, it's a kind of small fund within our larger fund. And, you know, we decided that this year we wanted to make it all focused on diverse uh, uh, scout investors. And so um, if you go to our website, lsvp.com forward slash scouts, um, it's uh, an initiative that I'm really excited will hopefully bring more diverse people into venture because we know if there's more diverse investors that tends to result in more diverse founders being funded. Um, you know, we've seen with women that women are twice as likely to invest in women founders. So I hope that's some of the impact that I can start to make. Um, and I'm really glad Lightspeed's been pretty receptive and open to it. Great. So in addition to your involvement in Lightspeed Scout program, you're also involved in an initiative by Valence, an online professional network called the Valence Funding Network. The network specifically aims to connect Black entrepreneurs with top partners at firms like yourself. How crucial is this initiative during this time, and do you believe that it will help alleviate some of the issues with diversity within the industry? I'm really excited about Valence. I think it could be a really exciting step forward. And I think, you know, what we've seen over the past month um, with all of the kind of, you know, resulting impacts of George Floyd and the racial protests across the country is that we are seeing a lot more initiatives like these start up. And so I'm super excited that these will hopefully continue. Um, and hopefully, as you guys said in the beginning, you know, not be this one point in time. Something about this time does feel very different to me, but really the, you know, the proof is going to be in the pudding, as they say, like, we'll talk, let's talk in a year and see if I still think the same thing. Um, but I think that the more initiatives we have, like these, the SoftBank Fund, the Andreessen Horowitz Fund, the Lightspeed uh, scout program. The more programs we have like these that are dedicated toward underrepresented founders and investors, the better. So valence, all of it. I'm here for it. I'm super excited. Completely agree. The VC industry definitely needs more diversity and needs more trailblazers like yourself, who will then increase investment in minority and specifically black owned businesses and entrepreneurs. So continuing on this path, Tell us about your interest in multicultural consumer products. What companies or industry areas are exciting you the most lately? Yeah, I actually, um, when I was interviewing at Lightspeed, pitched this as a category that I was super excited about, multicultural consumer products. And to me, what that category really means is it's a category where you're just being aware that for many, many centuries, at the main focus of a lot of products in America has been non-cultural founders. And so I, are uh, non-cultural consumers. And so I'm really hoping that this will, that, you know, knowing that just the stats behind multicultural consumer founders, that black women spend, you know, nine times as much on hair care, that there are, you know, a lot more, I think, spending power than people realize in some of these categories. And multicultural consumer products is not just hair care, but that's the easy one to call out. Um, you know, everything from skincare to beauty routines and to even if it's, you know, into entertainment and music, it's not all just focused on, you know, beauty and, and, and that type of products. I think that the category is exciting. The category is very large. A couple that I've looked at, and um, there's a company here based in San Francisco I really loved called Naza Beauty. 
N-A-Z-A. And they're kind of like a black drive bar. Um, is the easiest way to describe them. The founder, Natanya, is amazing. Uh, always love chatting with her. And they're building a space where you can go in and get your hair done in braids, cornrows, crochets, like all sorts of different styles that are specifically focused on textured hair. And so I think it's just really important that these things exist because, I mean, I don't know about you, I've had this in the feeling many times where I call up the driver ahead of time. I'm like, okay, I have black people hair, like I'm coming in, do you have anyone who knows how to do my hair? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. And then you get there and you end up combing your own hair for like two hours. You take up the space of like three customers, then you feel bad and so you tip like three times as much and it ends up being not the $40 quick dry bar experience that is advertised. So I think that it's really important to really include all consumers and companies like NASA are doing a great job. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Mercedes, for sharing your perspective on that and for sharing your experience as a Black woman and also as a VC partner in this industry. Now I'm going to let Annie take over with the next set of questions. Awesome. Thanks, Delina. Basically, for these next chunk of questions, I'm really interested in asking you particularly about your experience at Lightspeed and Lightspeed's growth strategy. So Um, My first question is, what advice do you have for early stage companies operating at this particular moment in history for how to still manage teams through all the economic and social uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really rough go for the past few months. Um, You know, there's this saying, there's like peacetime founders and wartime founders. And I think the last few months has been, I don't really love that phrase because wartime, I don't think people are like really going to war, but clearly what it signals is that there is a very, it's been very tough time and founders have to make a lot of really hard decisions about whether or not to do layoffs, you know, whether or not to furlough people, how to think about growth and re some entirely some, in some cases we had businesses in our portfolio that went from, you know, doing tens of millions of revenue or even more than that to doing like close to zero for, you know, a bit of time. And so that type of dramatic shift in a number of, and this is, you know, and it's never happened this quickly almost in history ever. And that happening almost overnight in the matter of a week is, is very, very um, concerning. And so I think founders in this time have had to be very, um, very quick with their decision-making capabilities. And analysis paralysis, this is not the time to have it. Um, I think that founders also need to be very compassionate at their, this time. I think a misconception about wartime founders is that you have to be ruthless. And that is a certain spin that someone could take on it. But I think you have to be quick decision-making with a maximum compassion. And so what you end up with is being decisive, but doing so in an empathetic way. And I think that is especially necessary when you're thinking about your team, but also when you're thinking about your customer base and what they're going through. A lot of them have also had their jobs, you know, cut. And so thinking about do you you know, how do you shift the pricing or how do you shift the account receivables or some of the timeframes and maybe which you're accepting money. So I think those are all things that um, founders have had to get really good at. And another thing is it's also a time for founders of learning. I think you have to be really open as a founder to realizing that this is a huge opportunity to learn and be very transparent about what you do know and what you don't know. So I call this thing kind of the vulnerability uh, or confidence spectrum. It's sometimes I say trade-off, 
But I think a lot of founders are constantly used to presenting themselves in the most confident way possible. I mean, they're selling themselves in the business all the time. They're trying to bring on executives. They're trying to bring on clients. They're trying to convince everyone to follow them when they don't have anything. So yes, they have to present confidence and sell all the time. But that can sometimes get in the way of learning. Because if you really don't know the answer to something and you're going around being like, this is great, this is how it's going to happen, da, 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 and we're going to do this, you're going to miss an opportunity to learn. And so I think the key is being able to switch very quickly between those two states. And you can some, have the two same two states within a span of like a five minutes in a conversation. And I think founders that are able to do that through this time while being decisive, while being compassionate, are going to be founders who come out of this better. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, and pivoting a little bit more toward Lightspeed, how would you describe Lightspeed's growth strategy and their competitive advantage? Yeah, Lightspeed's a really um, big venture capital firm. I think there's very few other top VC firms that have as much of a global breadth as us. Um, We're investing uh, over $10 billion out of all of our geographies, which include the U.S., India, China, Southeast Asia, Middle East, and Europe. We haven't made any investments in Latin Africa yet, but we're hoping to go there soon. And so I think one of the big things that differentiates us is being, one, very large capital base that we can use to continue to stay with companies all the way up till IPO or exit. You know, our goal is to be with them all the way through, uh, if we can, the end. And then also really a global reach. I mean, we can connect our portfolio companies who are looking to expand into India to our team in in India, who has three offices, who has, you know, teammates on the ground and all of the customer relationships and, and all of the network there. So I think that's one of the big things that differentiates us from kind of a stats uh, standpoint. I think one of the lesser known things that I've come to realize what differentiates Lightspeed, especially among top five VCs um, globally, is that we're one of the most diverse firms um, internally. I mean, we don't talk about this too much, but if we look at, and we're not doing the best on a, a ton of metrics, we could always do better. Um, but if you look at, um, you know, female investors, we um, now have 10 out of 30 female investment partners um, when, you know, four years ago, we just had our first, we had hired our first female investment partner. And so, you know, this is the results of an internal DNI task force at Lightspeed that really sat down and said, we want to make a change. We want to be a di- more diverse place. And they went out and did it in four years. Like we're not at 50-50 yet, but hopefully. And so I think that's another thing that really inspired me to join Lightspeed was looking around the table and being like, okay, I can see myself here. Um, And we're hiring more diverse investors every day. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue to my next question. I'm just wondering, on the topic of Lightspeed strategy, what specific steps is Lightspeed itself taking to promote diversity in both its teams and also its portfolio? Yeah, so definitely some of what I've touched on earlier. I think our strategy, how we think about it, we have an internal diversity and inclusion or DNI task force that's been running for three, four years now. And we think about our impact in kind of three verticals. The first vertical is internal. What is our internal investment team and overall operations staff look like? The second vertical is in our portfolio. What's the makeup of our founders and the board members look like? And then the third vertical is the ecosystem that we are part of, the broader venture ecosystem. So that's where initiatives like our scout program and um, some of the fund of funds investing we do falls into there. 
And so um, I'd say on the first point, we just talked about in terms of internal, some of the work we've done on gender diversity and racial diversity, we actually look at eight different measures of diversity. There's the common ones we're all used to looking at. There's also disabilities, military, veteran status, quite a few others. And so we try and be cognizant that these are all groups that are underrepresented in venture and tech. Um, so we look at that. And then I'd say the, um, you know, probably where we also think about across all three of these verticals is we do lots of events. We held an event in January on uh, more getting more diverse people to sit on boards. And since that event, I already know some of the people who came to that event ended up now being uh, board members of publicly traded companies. Um, I don't know, I can't say our event was the one that caused that to happen, but this is some of the you know work that we try to do in the industry. Wow, that's incredible. And just pivoting back to yourself, um, I'm just wondering, how has your experience as an operator yourself shaped your investment decisions and what unique advantages do you feel that this gives you when evaluating portfolio companies? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely trade-offs and benefits um, to doing, you know, operating first. I'd say, you know, people who graduated college when I did and spent the last decade in venture are a lot further along in venture than I am. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that the experience that I had operating was invaluable. And that for me, it really taught me a lot about how, what are the incentives of companies? How do you think about the rank and file employee, the executive employee, and what their needs are? And ultimately, when you think about a startup, the most important asset is your people. And so a ton of learnings about what really attracts and motivates people to work hard and work, you know, 16-hour days, not at Goldman, but 16-hour days at your startup where they're being paid a quarter of what they could be paid there. Um, so a lot of learnings that I had around that and then also around product, go-to-market, building sales team, a general assembly. Um, I worked on pretty much every division. I, the only roles I didn't do were accounting and engineering. Um, so I did a bit of, uh, you know, I led a talent recruitment team, led a product team, a design team, operations, and worked on all of these different areas. So that really gives me, when I speak to founders, an ability to say, like, I actually understand what you're talking about. Like, yes, I know that issue when we talk philosophically about disintermediation of when say you have a service supply side to your business that could connect directly with your customer and what are the ramifications of that like what is the right amount of agency to give them to go outside of your system to develop to deliver the best customer service kind of like I've lived that and I know exactly that tough trade-off that founders have to to make um so for me, it's been invaluable, and especially where it's come in help in winning deals is be having a sector expertise and sector focus. Cool. Awesome. And for our last question, we'd like to close all of our podcasts with this one question that we asked um, to all our speakers in our interviews. Um, so my question is, what is your hottest take? I would say um, I'm a really good moonwalker, but... <laughs> I don't think that's a hot take because I am. So I need to think more about what my, my hot take is. I don't know. I think when it comes to venture, my hot take is, um, this is something I see every day, is that a lot of investors mistake overconfidence for competence. And 
there are all sorts of articles and research written about, you know, how uh, especially more elite social classes and higher income people tend to have very, very, very good at presenting themselves and speak with a ton of confidence. And I think I see time and time again, day after day, how, you know, nothing really of value was said, but people walk away being like, wow, that was so impressive. And that's the bottom line. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to stay tuned for future episodes and check us out online at harvardventures.org. If you're a company or individual interested in working with us, you can reach us at hello at harvardventures.org and be sure to follow us on Instagram at harvard underscore ventures. Thank you so much again to Mercedes for being a part of our Black Lives Matter education and fundraising efforts. Thank you to everyone listening for your support. And if you are able, we'd encourage you to donate to the resource listed in the description of this episode, which supports Black entrepreneurs and the Black community as well. We're also looking forward to the launch of our Amplify series next week, and we hope to see many of you listening will tune in on Zoom. More details on Amplify can be found again on our website, harvardventures.org. Finally, be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Bottom Line. Now get off your phone, get out there, and build something cool. Bottom line.